Hey, if you got a Bible, do this. Open it up to Philemon. That is a small little book in the New Testament. It's just one chapter between Titus and Hebrews. So it's kind of midway through the New Testament. If you've been with us for the past few weeks, you know that we have been working our way through a sermon series called Grow, in which we have been engaging this idea of how do we grow in Christ? How do we how do we become more like Jesus and actually disciple ourselves and one another in this this pursuit of Christ likeness, sanctification, holiness? We're we're not going to we're going to suspend that because um what I had next in the series was a uh, a message that I I kind of really want the the whole crowd here for because I think it's really 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 critical. And so we're going to hold that off until next week. And this week we're going to do kind of a standalone message just out of one letter, one book, Philemon. And it is, this little letter has really just captured my attention and my heart over the years. It's one book. I'm going to preach to you. You get to go home today and say, hey, I got to listen to somebody preach to you the whole, a whole book of the Bible. Good news is it's only one chapter, so fret not. But before we do that, I just want to mention a couple of things. Number one, uh, this being Memorial Day weekend, I want to just pause for a second for us as a group of people living as really citizens of another kingdom within a kingdom to acknowledge the grace of God in our lives and on our nation and to pray for America, to pray for our country. We live right next door to probably the most important. I'm biased because I was stationed there and I was in the infantry myself years back, but I think it's probably undeniably the most important army installation in our entire country, Fort Benning, Georgia. And we've got soldiers there. That it's the, anybody that does anything, infantry is coming through Fort Benning. And anybody now in a, a year or so, anybody that does anything with tanks is going to be coming through Fort Benning. And so Fort Benning is an incredibly strategic place. And we've got some young guys coming through, Nick Privet and and all the other ranger guys and lieutenants and enlisted guys coming through. We want to pause for a second to pray for our military, our nation on this Memorial Day to remember the men that have that have served our country, some of them given the ultimate sacrifice. Um, I'm looking at Bob Rosa, uh, my dear friend, and he was stationed at Benning years ago as a young lieutenant, went to Vietnam and waded through the jungles there in Vietnam and um, just other guys here in this room that have been um, engaged in the conflicts that we are. I'm thinking of Tim Clyby. I don't know. I saw Tim walking in earlier. Tim, where are you? Raise your hand. Tim, Tim, Tim Clyby. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I keep messing up your name. Tim um, got a Purple Heart in Iraq with the uh, with the Third Infantry Division, and with him is a friend of his, um, and his name is Sean. I think Regan. Is that Sean? Right. And Sean also was injured and uh, received a Purple Heart and was right next to. Tim there in Iraq and um, and just recently I think Regan was telling me Tim is uh, Sean has been has been medically discharged from the army because of the wounds that he received in Iraq and so um, I'm just just raise your hand I just want everybody to see where you are there he is we just uh, Sean we salute you for your sacrifice for um, for what you did for us and um, just on behalf of some folks that are just grateful citizens we just thank you thank you and your your wife and and Tim um, these young men have seen things that, that young men should just not have to see. And regardless of where you are politically and w- w- what your stance is, these young men um, are there on our behalf. 
and I think of Nick, and he's going to be leading men over there soon. And um, so let's just stop and pray um, and thank God for, for men like, like Sean and Tim. And uh, they had buddies that did not come back. And they came back, in this case, with severe injuries. And so let's just stop and ask God to bless our nation, not for America's sake, but for the sake of peace in this world and the gospel to go into these places and for the sake of of lives of many people who might be impacted. So let's do that, shall we? The Lord, as we prepare to open up the Bible in total and complete freedom, and as we've arrived here in one of our, in most cases, multiple cars in homes, that have roofs and air conditioning and beds and TVs and refrigerators. God, we are so easily duped into a false sense of security and comfort. But God, I pray today, especially as we celebrate Memorial Day weekend, and we honor the men and women in our country's past that have served us well and have, in many cases, laid down their lives for us we thank you for them and we thank you for the men and women that are currently serving all across this world especially in combat zones in iraq and afghanistan and lord we thank you for this young man and several other lieutenants in our midst nick that's just graduated from ranger school and as he goes off to lead men i pray god that you'd go before him god i pray that you would Equip him to be the leader that would lead men well in difficult and dangerous situations. And God, as we have two wounded warriors in our midst, Tim and Sean, both recipients of one of the, one of the m- most important awards that our country can give a man, the Purple Heart, I pray, God, that they would, that they would sense our gratitude and our gratefulness and God, they would be infused with encouragement from the Holy Spirit to know that they, that they have labored well and they have defended well. And we are, we are very, very thankful for men like them. And God, I pray for our politicians. And God, it can be so frustrating as we watch the news and we hear their discourse in Washington. But God, would you send your spirit to move about providentially on the hearts of men with twisted motives so even in their sin you would bring to pass your righteousness and god we pray that that the conflicts in both iraq and afghanistan would come to completion quickly that righteous governments would be able to be established and that freedom would be would be the would be the system and that maybe god there would be a more open door for the gospel in those areas but god In this moment, we thank you that we live in America. Although America is far from perfect, we thank you that we live in a free land. And we thank you for men that are here today that have have given and sacrificed more than we can imagine to keep it so. Let them be encouraged. Let them know that we are very grateful. And bless America, I pray, for the sake of your cause on this earth. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, how about a hand for our guys? Yeah. Yeah.
Tim, I'm sorry I keep mispronouncing your name, but I don't have much sympathy for you. With a name like Evangelista, brother, I was butchered all my life. (laughs) Hey, Philemon um, is where we're going to start off today. Now, let me give you a little situation about the backdrop of Philemon. We're going to read through it together, and then I'm going to just make three points, and uh, we're going to respond and worship together. Hey, listen, don't, don't waste a day like today. Um, I know it's a, a vacation holiday weekend, and, um, and that means some of us are out of town. But, but in a moment, I'm going to preach. We're going to respond in worship. And then don't shoot out of here. There's a little kind of less people in here. It might be a great opportunity for you after we're done just to kind of connect with somebody, um, get to meet somebody that you haven't met, help us break down. We'd love for you to do that. But here's the situation of, of Philemon. The, Philemon is a person who lived in the city of Colossus, which was a place where Paul helped to plant a church. Now, Paul is the apostle that is the minister to the Roman Empire, the Gentiles. You guys are familiar with him. And he is taking missionary journeys after his conversion in Acts chapter 9, where Jesus comes back down from heaven to have a one-on-one counseling session with Saul, changes him into Paul, beats him up a little bit, sends him on his way, and radically transforms his life so that now Paul turns the Roman Empire upside down through his missionary journeys and church planning and witness for the gospel. He walks, he takes three different missionary journeys, maybe four, but three at least we are certain of missionary journeys where he's literally walking from Jerusalem or riding on a horse or or a mule walking basically thousands of miles and on one of his journeys he plants a church in the city of Ephesus which then becomes what we know the letter to the Ephesians and at that city of Ephesus there's this man named Epaphras who Paul um, helps is, is instrumental in his conversion and this man Epaphras then goes and plants a church in Colossae which is about a hundred miles east of Ephesus and so Paul is sort of second hand in a way responsible for the church in Coloss and then he becomes friends with this man named Philemon who evidently is a wealthy or prominent Christian who um, owned slaves during that time and, and we're not going to comment much on slavery but but obviously the the Bible is relatively silent in a lot of ways on slavery but it's not in any way condoning it Slavery was a little bit different in biblical times than than we think of slavery in an American context. Um, Oftentimes, uh, people would be slaves because they were repaying a debt. But anyway, we're not going to get into that. But Philemon was a Christian who was a a prominent member of this church in Colossus who had some slaves. And one of his slaves was a man by the name of Onesimus, which is a super cool name, by the way. We have... A fifth child? No, we're not, we're not having a fifth child. That'd be a cool name, Onesimus Evangelista. What a great name. <laughs> Kid would never get through kindergarten with a name like that. And so Onesimus is, he is one of Philemon's slaves. And he was of a certain ethnicity. Um, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Phrygian, I think. And he was um, kind of of this class of this group of people who were especially had especially a bad reputation as being poor workers and poor servants. And so he is a slave for Philemon and evidently um, wrongs Philemon. We don't know the exact circumstances, but we can only piece it together through what we're going to read. But evidently he, he wrongs Philemon in some way. He escapes and we can probably assume that he stole some money or some property from Philemon 
escaped and then went to Rome. So he's going from Colossae, which is kind of like modern day Greece, Turkey, escapes to the big city of Rome where he can hide amongst the huge population and is somehow or another able to support himself and live there because of the money that he probably stole from Philemon. But because criminals are criminals, probably he gets thrown in prison again for some other petty crime in Rome where he meets up with Paul who is in prison because of his preaching of the gospel now on his, after his third missionary journey and is awaiting the sentencing from the Roman Empire. So now we've got a thief who is stolen from his Christian master, escapes to Rome, gets in trouble again evidently, and then he meets up with Paul in prison and Paul becomes the man who brings this thief, Onesimus, to Christ. And now he learns of his relationship with Philemon, who, by the way, he knows and kind of connect the dots. So there's a strange twist of providence. And now here's the setting of the letter of Philemon. Paul is now writing Philemon, the slave owner who's been wronged, about Onesimus, about how he should take Onesimus back as his not slave anymore, but as his brother in Christ. This One short little letter is a beautiful, beautiful representation of how the gospel should transform our lives individually and how it should transform how we live together. So with that, let's go. Let's read. I'm going to comment along the way in three quick points at the end. Verse 1, Philemon, chapter 1, the only chapter and verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, Aphia's his wife, and Archippus, who's probably his son, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. And so he's writing to these folks, very, very fond of them. They're a church that meets in a house at Coloss. And he says in verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. I love that because Paul is saying that, hey, Philemon, one of the things I love about you is that you are obviously a Christian. You're, you're definitely one of these guys that, you know, that is, 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 is a pillar of the church. But he's saying that I, I, I want to see... And what I love about this is I want to see more out of you, Philemon. It's not just about you being saved, but it's about you being effective in your ministry. And um, Laura Lee Duncan last Sunday, a young lady from Crosspoint is going to Africa. And she, uh, she mentioned something really, really powerful that, that I think is, is hopefully a theme here at Crosspoint. She was quoting um, uh, John Piper, I think, where he said that the gospel and salvation should never terminate on us. It shouldn't be a cul-de-sac, but we should be a, a conduit of God's grace. And Paul is appealing to Philemon. He's kind of setting them up a little bit for what he's about to unpack to him. But he's saying, hey, the gospel's more about just your personal salvation and you being able to get more blessed when you study the Bible. But it's for, it's for you to now be something through which God flows so that Christ would be glorified. Verse 8. Accordingly, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you 
I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. I kind of like this because this is Paul sort of running like a, a Jedi mind trick on the guy, kind of. You know, he's saying, like, you know, I could just take my authority as an apostle. And oh, by the way, remember, I'm kind of the reason you're a Christian. And I, I don't know, I mean, I, you know, I don't know if you know this, but I'm the apostle Paul to the Gentiles. You know, God, Jesus showed back up and made me an apostle. And so I could, I could, I could run roughshod over you right now, but I'm not. <laughs> I kind of like that. It's kind of underhanded. It's kind of like a nice way of running roughshod. I'm not going to, I'm going to appeal to you, brother. I love this because um, it's sort of like spiritual manipulation, but in a good way. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man now and a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for, for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So from this we can peace that Onesimus, the fugitive slave who's on the run from stealing from his master Philemon, has apparently, it'd be kind of like, um, it would be kind of like if you are a, uh, a small town crook, Coloss wasn't a real big city, and you you know you you steal something, and you're not gonna like if you steal something, you, you're not gonna just move to the other side of town because everybody's like, hey, that's that's Onesimus, he's he's driving Philemon's horse, <laughs> dude, that's not yours. And I mean, he's got the you know, so he's riding around on Philemon's horse, and they see it's the Philemon mark on the horse, and like, dude, you you, and so what does he do? Like any good thief, he goes to a big city. Like, if you, if you steal my stuff, you're not just going to move down the street. You're going to Atlanta, man, because you can blend in, right? But the thing is, is, is that, that when the crook goes to the big city, he's still a crook. And evidently, he gets in trouble again, and he gets thrown in prison. And now, through God's providence, he is face-to-face with the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul wins him to Christ. And he's in prison and now Paul becomes his spiritual father through imprisonment verse 11 formerly he was useless to you but now he is indeed useful to you and to me what a what an amazing sentence have you ever felt useless and some of you in this room some of us I just feel like oh, there's nothing good in me and if we could unpack my past well, I would just be so ashamed you think about Onesimus this kind of this lifelong petty thief who gets arrested time and time and again and is on the run. Just a, a life that is wasted, and through God's grace and mercy, he becomes, he becomes a useful person. And you know, here's the other thing, too. I'm, I'm fascinated by obscure characters who make it into the Bible. Like, you know, the great giants of the faith, like Moses and Elijah and Abraham and, and uh, you know, the Apostle Paul and Peter. Someday when we get to heaven, I think there's going to be like, hey, like, there's Moses. Like, oh, snap. Like, everybody, everybody kind of wants to meet the famous guy, you know. But I'm going, to, I'm going to saddle up next to Onesimus, and I'm going to be like, dude, you made it in the book. Can you believe that? You were a petty thief. And he's going to be like, I know. I mean, I, just, I, just, I was just stealing stuff, man. I was... I was taking metal air caps from people's t- 
tires like I did as a kid selling them at the school bike rack. Because I don't know if you know this, but the little metal air caps that go on like nice cars, they also fit on your bike. And that was my little business as a kid. I'd steal them (laughs) off of the car. I'm like, dude, can you believe this? Like, I know, man. Paul wrote a letter. I mean, I just thought it was between him and Philemon. It's in the book. And jeez. I mean, here's the point is that, like, do you ever just feel like, ordinary yeah and i think it's really it's really especially true in our culture where we just worship stardom and because we're so exposed to just national news i mean in an instant somebody can become a star we just i mean you just know people you just see people we're so accessible to great athletes or great performers or national level personalities and i think what that does is it creates in a lot of us just kind of like i'm i'm just a i'm just useless now here's encouragement from the scriptures that a guy who was probably had a far more um sinful life than most of us in here today became useful to god that's so encouraging verse 12 i am sending him back to you sending my very heart now this again is encouraging and paul could have I mean, Onesimus evidently became very useful to him in ministry. And the inclination there is for him to, for Paul to kind of, you know, keep, I mean, Paul, look, he knows Philemon is a Christian. He knows Onesimus is a Christian. And we could just go like, man, yeah, that was pretty unfortunate what happened between you and Philemon a couple years ago. And well, let's pray and ask God to forgive us. But Paul, Paul forces it. See, the gospel's not just a personal experience. The grace and the power and the mercy and the presence of God in our life moves through just our personal forgiveness and should transform all of our broken relationships. And so Paul forces that point and he writes to Philemon and he says, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. And just look, let's 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 get into this scene a little bit. Most of the scholars think that it's very likely that Onesimus along with maybe Epaphras or one of the other servants of the church, was the very one carrying the letter back to Philemon. I mean, there was no, like, Palestinian post office box. I mean, there's no, no UPS, no, there's no mail service. I mean, Paul would write these letters, and he would seal it, and he would then give it to one of his ministry associates, who then would have to walk to that city and hand deliver it to that group of people. And so can you imagine Paul's kind of in this halfway house in prison in Rome at this time? And evidently Onesimus has probably served his time. Because remember, he met Paul in imprisonment, but now he's evidently free to go. And so he's now free to go. And Paul's writing this letter and he's just imagine the scene. Paul is saying, okay, uh, Onesimus, I've got this letter. And, and Onesimus is probably familiar with the system. I mean, people were carrying letters all the time. Paul had probably written some, written some other letters to, you know, the Ephesians and the Colossians and and Onesimus is feeling kind of like he's one of Paul's right-hand guys in ministry. And he's like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm actually becoming a, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, one of the guys. And he writes this letter and he seals it and he says, hey, uh, Onesimus, I've got a mission for you. I need you to take this letter. Oh, where do you want me to take it, Paul? To the, is this your second letter to the Philippians? Yeah, it's a good church. How about your third letter to the Corinthians? Yeah, those sorry suckers. Let's get them again. Let's, let's really hammer them again with the gospel. Yeah, yeah. Where are we going, Paul? Where are we going? No, no, Onesimus. And this is all just conjecture, by the way, but I'm just imagining it. He's saying, hey, hey, Onesimus, take this letter back to Philemon. 
Philemon? Yeah, so Onesimus is the guy. Paul is forcing the gospel to work out in every area of the life of Philemon and Onesimus. I think that's, that's so hard, but it's so beautiful. Verse 13, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred, listen to the heart of Paul here, the unselfish heart of Paul. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own free will. For this, verse 15, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Paul there is saying, just, he's, just, he's just speculating. He's saying God is so providential and God is the author of all events. And God can work even in the midst of one person's sin and another person's righteous anger to bring about this strange twist of events where the slave who ripped off the owner who Paul knew who happened to be instrumental in his coming to Christ now receives this slave in prison, helps him to come to Christ and sends them back together. I mean, what a providential coincidence. And God can work even in the most seemingly hopeless of situations to bring about transformation in our personal lives. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave. As a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Verse 17, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. In other words, look, I'm asking you to do this. You owe me the very fact that you're a Christian, Philemon, because I was instrumental in your salvation. Verse 20, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so to Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Three quick points, then we're going to pray and respond in worship. Number one, is that God, God can and does utterly change people. God can and does utterly change people. He takes this thief, Onesimus, who's not evidently done with his thievery after he escapes from Philemon, now continues in his way and is evidently arrested again in Rome and now put in prison. And God providentially changes, changes the life of this man and makes him who was once useless now useful and he does it he does it in unspectacular ways he does it certainly in spectacular ways but he also does it in unspectacular ways you see you have to understand the history to get the the gravity of this relationship between paul and onesimus paul had been in prison several times before in fact in acts chapter 16 he's in prison one time with silas and they're in this Philippian jail, and they start, they get a hymn book evidently, they start singing, and God miraculously breaks them out of prison, scares the 
whips out of the jailer who bows down on his knee and says, what must I do to be saved? And I mean, that's, that's in the miraculous box. But then Paul gets thrown in prison several other times and evidently, because of God's sovereign purpose, doesn't get broke out of prison. And can you imagine now he's with Onesimus, who probably understands and is getting a, a sense of, of what an important guy Paul is in Christianity. He's come to Christ and he's probably hearing Paul's story of, hey, he's got some other guys coming around him, Mark and Demas and Aristarchus. Hey, remember that time, Paul, when, when, when you and Silas started singing and, and like the walls shook and it broke out? And like, yeah, man, remember that time? That was awesome. But can you imagine Onesimus? He's kind of like the guy who's now there with Paul. And it seems like God is not moving as miraculously. And it can kind of seem like, well, is, is my life going to amount to anything? Is this, I mean, but in just unspectacular ways, just by Onesimus hanging around with Paul, his life is utterly transformed. Like I, I listen to other people sometimes. I hear testimonies of other people. Christians around the world, and of course I long for God to move in a miraculous way, but sometimes you ever get discouraged because it seems like you're not the guy that's around stuff when big stuff is happening? Anybody else ever kind of, is it just me? Am I the only idolatrous one in the house? Or, I mean, it's kind of like, oh, my life is just kind of, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have one of these great testimonies where, where God has just zapped me. And of course we believe that God can zap you. But God, through just... The friendship of these two people and community and the work of the Spirit of God and the life of Paul flowing through into this man, Onesimus, can utterly and totally transform you and transform our lives. I think, I think that's a, an incredible message of the gospel. God can and does utterly trans, change people. Secondly, God salvages, God salvages situations that seem hopeless from our perspective. I mean, can, can you imagine? I mean, maybe, maybe Onesimus had a mom or an aunt, or again, this is just conjecture. Can you imagine maybe if Onesimus had a relative who had maybe come to Christ and maybe they were friends of Philemon? Maybe they were also slaves in Philemon's or ser- servants with Philem- of Philemon? And they're kind of embarrassed about Onesimus' life? And Onesimus has really made a mess of it? And he's stolen some things, and now he's in Rome, and he's evidently in prison again. I mean, this, this letter just gives me great hope that God, God, and I think this is particularly important if maybe you're a parent and your child is away from God, that God can, God can providentially move in situations that just seem utterly hopeless to us. And that gives me great, great encouragement. And he can use even our own sin to bring about the meeting of us with some person that will bring the gospel to us. That even a person that is in great, great rebellion, God is, is around, above, behind, beneath that person, orchestrating their life to where they can be in front of a person who will unpack the gospel to them. I mean, that's stunning to me and it is so encouraging in this age when, or for in certain situations where you may have a person who who seems so utterly lost and hopeless. And finally, the last point that I think jumps out to me about this beautiful little letter is that reconciliation is at the heart of the gospel. But this reconciliation isn't just to God, but it's to one another. I think we have 
If there's one thing that we do very, very well here in America, it is we compartmentalize our lives, right? I mean, we, especially religiously, especially spiritually, I mean, we, we, have, we, we, get, we get angry, we get offended, and we move on. And then we spend, you know, a time in some certain community, and then we, you know, we get hurt, and we, we, we siphon. It's like we, it's like we, we siphon off different parts of our lives because there's, and, 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 and if we continue to live like this because we're rugged individuals and we'll just deal with it, we just, we just eventually back ourselves into a very, very small little room. And although we may personally have come to saving faith in Christ, it, it, it's not the heart of the gospel. The gospel calls us to not only be reconciled to God, but also to one another. Can you get the the depth and the intensity? Where Paul could have just said, you know, gosh, boy, it's Onesimus. Let's just write a letter to Philemon and just express your sorrow and, and maybe set up some sort of payment plan. Maybe you can ship him some money with our other eventual visits there and you can just you know kind of send and just we'll just kind of over the course of time bring about reconciliation but paul paul forces he forces the gospel to permeate every area of onesimus and philemon's life and i think that's the great beauty of this letter and the great power of the gospel to transform us over time so in just a moment we're gonna we're gonna sing some songs Communion is going to be available for you. You can pray if you need prayer. And I just want to, I want to ask us a question. Has our transformation solely been a personal event? Or has it worked its way into you? Now, that doesn't mean that everything's perfect in your life. Right now, I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would put his finger on something, that some relationship, some portion of your life, or maybe the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, God, in his in his love and mercy has not really reached in your life. And I I pray that God's spirit would give you that uncomfortable feeling that Onesimus probably had when he knew that Paul was sending him to confront the very thing that was the skeleton in his closet, which was his relationship with Philemon. That's a terrible way to live. And Paul knew it. And he forced reconciliation in every area of the life of these two brothers. And I think the Holy Spirit wants to do the same for us. Well, let's pray. Guys, come on back if you would. Lord, thank you for this beautiful little personal letter from Paul to Philemon about this useless thief made useful named Onesimus. God, I think we do a pretty good job of explaining what it means to become a Christian and to be saved personally. And I think we do a real good job of of hammering home the point that each person in this room and in the world must personally respond to the gospel in order to be saved. That we're not saved from your wrath and the consequences of our sin because our grandma help start a church or because our mom prays that you may use those means to bring us to faith but each one of us personally must respond to Jesus 
And I pray that if there's anybody in this room that has not done that, that they would realize today that they must, they must realize that even a decent law-abiding moral life does not make us worthy before God, but every person in this room is a sinner before they come to Christ who deserves separation and punishment from God. The beauty of the gospel is, is that Jesus lived the life that we did not live and offered his own body as a sacrifice, a wrath-absorbing substitute for the punishment that should have been ours and that now we are invited by grace to respond in faith, which is more than just cognitive agreement, but it is trust. It is a turning away from our self-reliance and sin, and it is a turning to you in trust and obedience and ever-increasing pursuit of you. Yeah, we understand that, and I pray that if anybody's in this room that has not done that, I pray that they would do that today by simply trusting in you, by believing, by having faith in Jesus alone as the sacrifice for their sins and their Lord and their master. And God, they would do that. But God, my fear is that sometimes that's where it stops for most of us. We're content to just secure our eternity. And for some reason, we're cautious to insist that the gospel work its way out through all of our lives. And so, God, now would you help us realize that when we trusted in you, you you filled us with your spirit and you empowered us now to live and to have the courage to do the hard work for the rest of our lives of reconciling ourselves, not just to you, but to people, to friends, to broken relationships clearing out our closed off closets living in a way of freedom that now frees us up to be useful for the gospel God I pray that you do two things number one if there's a person who has not truly received you that today you would cause them to be born again as first Peter says that they would trust in you. And if that's you, here's what you do. You believe, you trust, you repent, you turn. You say, Jesus, I realize I, I need you and you alone are the sacrifice for my sins. And you trust, you give trust in that. And I think it would be very helpful if that's you to come talk to somebody. I'll be down here. A couple other folks will be down here. Come, come pray with us and say, hey, I, I want to trust in Christ. I want to believe. I want to have faith in him. I want to become a follower of Jesus today and I I know that I need to do that. So I'm asking God that you do that in somebody's life if they haven't done so. And secondly, God, I pray that you would put your finger, the finger of your Holy Spirit on the lives of of those of us in this room who are already Christians. And God, you would press on us in areas where maybe the gospel has not worked its way through our life. Maybe there's a relationship that needs to be confronted gently or a sin that needs to be confessed and repented of earnestly maybe there's a broken bridge somewhere that needs to be rebuilt and God I pray that you would that you by your beautiful Holy Spirit 
would put your thumb, put your finger right on that and cause us to move in this beautiful path of reconciliation that Onesimus and Philemon walked. God, would you do that for us? Put your finger, and then in this coming, these coming days and weeks, would you give us the courage to move in that direction? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's do, let's do this. Let's stand and respond to God. The guys are going to sing a couple songs. You're welcome to receive communion. If you're a Christian, you know that the communion bread represents the broken body of Jesus and the juice represents his blood. And we do that not out of tradition or ritual, but we come to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross and then to examine our lives and to say, God, search me and know my heart. If there's any any wicked way in me, God, run through me with your conviction and your grace and your mercy and your your earnestness. And if you want to, you're, you're a Christian, you're welcome to come and receive communion to do that. If you're not a Christian, hey, it's not like anything bad would happen to you if you did it, but it's really kind of a family deal. It's a family meal. So um, that's something that Christians do. So you're welcome to do that. You don't have to be a member of this church, but if you know the Lord, then you want to receive communion, do so. If you need prayer for any reason, come. We'll be here to pray with you. Um, and if, if you're not in any one of those two categories, then let's just worship God. Say, God, run through me. Put your finger on my life and show me where the gospel needs to continue. It's reconciling power and transforming love in me. Let's do that. Let's sing. <laughs>